Hello friends, my name is Brenna. And I'm Danny, And this is Lago Stories. Today's episode contains graphic information that some listeners may find disturbing. Listener's discretion is advised. Welcome back, Logos friends, to episode two. I'm excited to share for my first episode of season two. With February being Black History Month, I wanted to share this case in order to speak up on something that we, Danny and I, find very important. Yeah, we think it's really important for us to share our voice for those voices and cases that haven't necessarily been heard or something that we need to bring back to light. Absolutely. But yeah, without further ado, let's get into it. Today's episode, we're going back in time 90 years because I want to tell you about the Tuskegee study. And Danny, what do you know about the Tuskegee study slash experiment? I honestly don't know much. I know we talked a little bit about this case before we recorded and you said that you had been really educated through this. So I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Yes, and I'll be honest and admit, I had no idea that this even happened until like a year ago, and I'm not sure if it was just not a part of my history books in school. Granted, it probably was my unconventional schooling, but I'm wondering how many other people weren't aware of this twisted and bizarre piece of American history until recently as well, or at all just like me. I'm not shocked, you know, a lot of dark history seems to be hidden until you kind of pull the wool between that's your true. eyes. So. That's true. But back in 1932, the U.S. Public Health Service Agency, or USPHS for short, begins working with the Tuskegee Institute, which is located in Tuskegee, Alabama. They teamed up to create a taxpayer-funded study that would observe and record the natural process and history of syphilis. And quick background on syphilis if you're not aware. Syphilis is a sexually transmitted disease, or STD, caused by bacteria, which starts out as a painless sore, but if left untreated, according to the Mayo Clinic, quote, syphilis can severely damage the heart, brain, or other organs, and can be life-threatening, end quote. Syphilis was and still is quite common, with the first epidemic occurring during the Renaissance in 1495. It is a stigmatized disease with even bigger questions surrounding its origin, one out of the two most well-believed theories is that Christopher Columbus's crew brought syphilis to America from Europe, but we won't get into that since we could probably do a whole episode on that guy alone. As soon as she said Christopher Columbus, I was like, can we not? not? He <laughs> but yeah, he probably was the origin story of That's that. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> There's no other way. But back to the study. It was originally called, quote, the Tuskegee study of untreated syphilis and the Negro male, end quote and originally consisted of 600 black men. It is now referred to officially as the, quote, USPHS syphilis study at Tuskegee, end quote. Out of the 600 men, originally 399 had syphilis and 201 did not. The men were told that they would receive free meals, free medical exams, burial insurance, and would be treated for bad blood for participating in the study. And I'm sure you're wondering, what the heck is bad blood? Well, bad blood was a local term used to describe several bodily issues to include anemia, fatigue, syphilis, and other similar conditions. Originally told that the study would last six months, the 600 men underwent physical exams, blood tests, x-rays, and even spinal taps. So, 
was there intention out of the 600 for some to have it and some to not? Yeah. So you always want to have a control group. So mm-hmm. the people that did not have syphilis were the control group and they wanted to just kind of observe untreated syphilis. It kind of sets me uneasy that it's like, hey, free meals, free exams, and also your burial will be covered. Yes. Okay. So, and it wasn't offered right away. They first, you know, came out and was like, hey, we need 600 black men for this study. Any takers? And they were like, nah. (laughs) Because why? Yeah. And then they were like, okay, well, we'll give you, you know, we're going to be treated for bad blood, but we'll also give you free meals. And then, like, a couple of people are like, all right, free meals every day or whatever. But then they were like, okay, this is not enough. Okay, well, we'll pay for your funeral. (laughs) And then more people started coming. That's wild. So, yeah, they needed to get people in. It's crazy. Now, I don't think I have to explain how rural Alabama in the 1930s was anything but fair, equal, or just for the black community. But I'm going to give you some reminders anyways. Following the stock market crash of 1929, African Americans were first to lose their jobs and sustained an unemployment rate two or even three times higher than that of whites. Throughout the Great Depression, whites received higher amounts of aid, while African Americans were often denied service at charitable soup kitchens. Scientific and medical racism was rampant with common pseudoscience that stated black people were more prone to STDs and STIs because of an inherently larger sex drive than whites. And of course, the simple fact that legal segregation would not be abolished for another 30 years in Alabama. Now with those reminders, I'm sure you won't be shocked to hear that the men weren't actually being treated for bad blood like they originally thought. They weren't actually being treated at all. Not only were the men who had syphilis never told of their positive results, but researchers purposely tricked the men by giving them ineffective or smaller doses of treatment, which at the time, one of the treatments back in 1930s was mercury. Yeah, as we know that that didn't end well from anybody involved for sure. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a great point that you put like, we understand that, but you still reiterate it. Because I mean, even some of the things that you just listed, and you listed a short few of a long, 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 long battle, a long fight, long list of discriminations and segregations and things like that. But I mean, some of them even still shocked me like the the one about sex drive, like, first, it doesn't even make sense. But it, it's like, it's like yeah. you took every subcategory to nitpick everything about to kind of create a, a massive divide for everybody involved. Yeah, well, and even in the 1930s, it was medically approved to think that whites were more intelligent kind of thing. You know, that mm-hmm. was really... and. I won't go into the details, but it had to do with larger sex organs was the reason why they thought black people had a larger sex drive. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I I know I always tease you for your more gory or intense episodes, but I mean... It goes to the fact if you don't talk about it, it's missed. And if you don't talk about it, nobody's talking about it. So yeah, it's one of those things you got to keep in your perspective. And no, we don't have to drive it home till the cows come home and beat it into you. But it also needs to continually be brought up to make sure things don't regress and that we keep progressing. Absolutely. 
1933, researchers decided they would extend the study from six months, but in order to keep the men from receiving proper care, researchers provided local doctors with a list of names and asked them to not treat the men that were syphilis positive. By 1940, the list of names was provided to the Alabama Health Department as well. At any time throughout the study, if a man contracted syphilis, they would simply move them from the control group to the syphilis group. Okay, so it's already starting like to me that this experiment is not sounding right. Yeah, it's sounding more evil yeah. than than an actual like scientific study. Yeah. Yeah. Your your uh, suspicions would be correct. And in 1941, when many of the men were drafted for World War II, the military uncovered the men's diagnosis when conducting a general entry medical exam. But instead of allowing the men to be treated for their syphilis, the researchers said, mm, it's easier to just have them removed from the army instead. As early as 1943, penicillin was being used effectively all around the U.S. to treat syphilis, and if caught in the early stages, penicillin could provide a cure. Except still, none of the men were provided or offered penicillin treatment. I was going to chime in and see, so I know you mentioned a cure, so is syphilis one of the STDs that can actually be cured, or is it something maintained? Absolutely, yeah. If it's caught early enough, it is actually a cure. Okay. The Henderson Act was also passed in 1943, and this provided publicly funded treatment and testing for all venereal diseases. This forced the USPHS to open several rapid treatment centers to specifically treat syphilis, meanwhile still denying nearly 400 men in their study from treatment. So was the start of this something kind of like the aid epidemic where a lot of people were getting it or was this just something like was it prevalent enough for this study to be warranted or was it just one of those things that were like hey let's just start doing this yeah i did read that um they had decided on the tuskegee area because of an overall higher number Mm -hmm. of um syphilis positive people i'll get into the reason why they concentrated on black men though But yeah, so it was common, and especially in the start of it, they were using mercury and other things that, you know, they didn't have, like, a quote-unquote, like, cure until 1943 when penicillin came out. So it was, you know, being passed around like hotcakes. Yeah, you would think that just generally treating any of these subjects in this experiment with any sort of help would be beneficial to, you to see would how it think, work, right? But I yeah. guess just leave it out there and let it but see But they happens. wanted to see what would happen in humans if someone who had syphilis was just untreated. Yeah, but... Like, that was the thing of the study. But And again, I'll go yeah. into it, but yeah. I mean, I'll hold further comment. It just doesn't... That doesn't make sense to me, but yeah. it's fine. Now, of course, we can't forget that the basis of the study was to examine and record the progress of untreated syphilis. However, before the study began, USPHS and the Tuskegee Institute chose to concentrate the study on black men because they believed that they would be less likely to seek treatment and therefore could observe untreated syphilis without having to intervene. 
Clearly, we see they intervene. But one of the reasons the men agreed to take part of the study was for the free medical exams and to be treated by bad blood. So not sure what their logic was there. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I know it is a common thing around black people and and seeking medical treatment. But I feel like if you were going to participate in something like this and you weren't going to agree till you had that offer of being treated for bad blood, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to say like, hey, I have this and if something else happens to me while I'm doing this, I'm not going to be treated. And that's exactly the opposite of their thought process. Like most African-Americans don't seek medical help because they think people are not going to take them seriously or treat Mm -hmm. them. So they just took that thought process and kind of, not kind of, they didn't prefer it and Mm -hmm. made it of like, oh, well, they just don't like to be treated. And it's like, no, they don't like to be treated because people don't take them seriously and then they end up being critically ill. Yep. Absolutely. And I get into that a little bit more as well. But you know, it's like, this is a clear example why if I was in that same boat, like, yeah, I wouldn't trust the medical or, you know, government agencies to treat me because this literally happened. Exactly. Yeah. And by 1952, around 30% of the men with syphilis had received treatment anyways, even with all of the studies attempts to deny or dissuade the men from treatment. By 1965, researchers argued that it was too late to treat the men with penicillin as the disease had progressed for too long, even though penicillin was and still is a recommended treatment for all four stages of syphilis. The Center for Disease Control, or CDC, took over for USPHS around 1969, and even though the Nuremberg Code and the Declaration of Helsinki were created in 1947 and 1964, which these were written to help protect humans from experimentation, the CDC decided to continue on with the study anyways. It wouldn't be until 1972 that the study would finally end. And the reason why? Peter Buxton leaked information to the New York Times where they quickly published the story, front page of course, on November 16th. By now though, only 74 out of the 600 men were still alive. The effects of the study were undeniably tragic as 128 men died from syphilis or syphilis-related complications. 40 spouses had contracted syphilis and 19 of their children were born with congenital syphilis. So how long was start to finish? You said 1972 and this started when? 40 years, 1932. It was supposed to be six months. Oh my god. And it only ended because somebody leaked the information yeah so good for them i mean it's always those those little people we in the need story the whistleblowers that we, yeah like yeah like speak up if you see something sketchy yeah yeah that is insane and it's just horrible that 128 people died from something that is a cure and not only did you affect their lives but you affected their family and other people being brought into this world because mm-hmm. you just thought that it was okay to do that mm-hmm. i mean the whole time you've been talking about this this sounds more of like a a spider-man becoming villain story yeah like yeah you know all of the weird like this was their kryptonite that turned them into this thing that's mm-hmm. what this is sounding like hey we're just not going to treat this and see how it plays yeah. out no that's never like worked. lab rats yeah or something. no that doesn't work yeah and it's just sad that i mean 
we can see that happening in movies and books and things and then when it comes and it's out in the real world we're we're really quick to be like that didn't happen mm-hmm. that that's not true yeah and i mean it's it's part of the reason why a lot of our education system or things that we learn from school or taught of like i mean how many of us thought christopher columbus was, was like dude? a hero yeah! <laughs> we're like, get it! and now yeah. we're like wow yeah no absolutely and that's a big reason why i wanted to do this case because again i didn't hear about this until a year ago again i don't know if it was because i was homeschooled and went to a charter school that i was never like taught about this but if it's not being taught in schools like what are we doing yeah going back the public was immediately outraged as the study made headlines worldwide The Assistant Secretary for Health and Scientific Affairs appointed an advisory panel to review the study, and they found the study, quote, ethically unjustified, end quote, or that the results of the study were disproportionately insignificant compared to the harm caused to its subjects. So let me just reword that there. The 40 years of this study, they found out pretty much nothing. Well, nothing compared to the damage that it caused. It translated into nothing because they just didn't. So what was it for? Yeah. Like, it goes back to, like, if you would have had those people seek treatment or honestly do anything, you could have actually had some data and real facts that this 40 years would have was used for. Absolutely. The, quote, National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, quote, sued USPHS shortly after the end of the study, and in 1974, the suit was settled for $10 million dollars. USPHS also agreed to pay for all of the surviving men and infected family members' medical treatments. But it wouldn't be until May 16th of 1997 that a formal apology would come from the then-President Bill Clinton. At this time, only eight survivors were still alive to hear the apology. After announcing that a lasting memorial would be built in Tuskegee and talking about commitments to ensure history would not repeat itself on this, Clinton states, quote, To the survivors, to the wives and family members, the children and the grandchildren, I say what you know. No power on earth can give you back the lives lost, the pain suffered, the years of internal torment and anguish. What was done cannot be undone, but we can end the silence. We can stop turning our heads away. We can look at you in the eye and finally say on behalf of the American people, what the United States government did was shameful, and I am sorry. The American people are sorry for the loss for the years of hurt. You did nothing wrong, but you were grievously wronged. I apologize and I am sorry that this apology has been so long in coming. End quote. Wow. That the quote gave me chills. I mean, just the point of saying like we're not gonna turn our heads, we're not gonna put cover up over this or silence button on it. I'm a big component of like uncomfortable conversations push for change. But I mean, uncomfortable conversations that are open-minded for feedback and criticism, Mm -hmm. not those that are angry or one-sided or opinionated. I don't have time for that and I do not care what you're saying. If you're not going to be open-minded and look at things in a different perspective or even in a new light, then I just don't have time for that. So that really spoke to me that was like, hey, we're going to let you know this is uncomfortable we don't like talking about it, but we're going to do it anyway because we're going to let you know that what happened was wrong and you guys need to know that and note that things need to be different. And that's a big respect thing for me. So like that was super cool. 
and it's it me sad that it was 1997 though yeah and it does make me it's heartbreaking that it took until there was only eight survivors i mean i don't even i can't do the math but that's how many years after that even started from six months to several decades later it's ridiculous it is ridiculous Mm -hmm. but the fact that they did recognize that something was done wrong is that first step yeah i absolutely agree there's no denying that the tuskegee study had a huge impact and this dark history still resonates today in the 21st century in 2016, Van R. Newkirk II, a senior editor for The Atlantic, writes, quote, As a black man from the South, that anxiety, a weariness built on an embedded knowledge of hundreds of poor black Alabaman men who were exploited and led to their deaths by an unethical government sanction project, shapes my current beliefs about medicine and my own health more than I care to admit. I still have trouble trusting physicians and have declined participation in some health studies that probably would have been useful for me, end quote. Yeah, I mean, it just goes back to kind of what I was touching on earlier that, I mean, that mindset they originally were like, oh, they're not going to seek this out. And it's like, no, there's a reason they don't seek those things out because it's unsafe. Yeah. And until you recognize that and understand that, it still goes on today. I would hope that it's not as prevalent as as this but you know it's one of those things we have to keep in our conversations we have to keep talking about it because otherwise people be like that's not real you're making that up people don't do that no people do do that that's why we do this yeah (laughs) like it's not just something we're making up here this is not for entertainment we have started and we will end and die on we have something that we need to talk about and educate people that is important like we're not just doing this for you guys to listen and have an entertaining story about people these are real people's lives this is real stuff that happens real harm yeah real harm and if you're not talking about it and you don't know and it doesn't change it's just going to continue to happen especially because even as a white woman i can see yes things have changed yes maybe there's not like a covert underground study right now going on but there is still so much more work that needs to be done Mm -hmm. and granted like this may not be much but at least like again talking about it that's the first step talking about it sharing it with friends and family all of that yeah and just like you said i mean this is not something we learned in school so without these side conversations who knows who did and didn't know about it and who would ever know about it if we didn't talk about it today Mm mm-hmm Most recently, the Tuskegee study made headlines again in 2021 when the COVID vaccine first became available. Health officials noted hesitancy within the black community for the vaccine. Omar Neal, a radio host, former mayor of Tuskegee, and relative of three Tuskegee study survivors for a New York Times article states, quote, few families escaped the study. Everyone here knows someone who is in the study, and the betrayal the study was is often conjured whenever people are questioning something related to mistrusting medicine or science, end quote. Of course, the distrust of the healthcare or government systems in the black community extends far beyond the Tuskegee study, but the overwhelmingly amount of pain and hardship a small rural Alabama town endured for four decades certainly cannot be discounted either. I think that's a really good point that Amar Neal mentioned is that the betrayal and distrust of medicine and science, I think that 
is pretty powerful to say because a lot of people will look at those two subjects or people that are within those and take that what they're saying is fact without doing any additional research when at the end of the day things like this happen because of that Mm -hmm. and it's like you got to I mean you don't have to question every single thing in your life but you should probably question those that make you think that that doesn't that doesn't sound right if it doesn't sit well in your gut again trust your gut you know like oh you can't seek medical treatment when they said they would by doing this study oh but it's medicine you're gonna be fine yeah don't worry guys we got it yeah <laughs> oh and danny are you shocked that not a single person was charged for the deaths or injuries caused by this study i wish i would say i am and that it's sickening to think that they weren't but i go back to that they're gonna cover up what they want to do and we know there's a lot of shady things that go down within that sector especially when they do things wrong Mm -hmm. so am i shocked absolutely not is it disgusting 100 percent? and i know this episode doesn't fit our usual type of case but i know we don't need police or a prosecutor to tell us what occurred during this study was a crime but i thought again this was important to share for black history month and important especially for anyone like me that wasn't aware of this deranged and dark piece of american history yeah i will go back Just again to reiterate, I know we brought it up throughout this whole episode, but it is really important to do your due diligence of what our history was actually like. A lot of it likes to have the snowflakes and rainbows and Disney princess on it of it all, but that's not how it was. And until we have these uncomfortable conversations and really talk about it, people are not going to know and that's not going to produce any sort of change and history will repeat itself because people are inherent to follow what has been done in the past. And I mean, you can see that across the board, whether that's we're looking at nature versus nurture or abuse or anything like that. All of those have a, a behavioral pattern for a reason. Yeah. A lot of this is something that you are taught or learned from a young age and grew up with to know as fact when it really is not fact at all. Mm-hmm. And just because we have been doing it or been doing it a long time doesn't make it right. Exactly. I'm I'm the first person. That's how we used to do it. Uh, okay. Is that providing any use for what we're doing now? Yeah. We're not talking about the past. Yeah. I wasn't here then. It's 2022, Karen. <laughs> yeah. Let's get it together, girlfriend. Let's readjust and let's have a conversation about it. Yeah. Absolutely. But with that, that'll conclude today's episode. Let us know your thoughts on Instagram and Facebook at Lago Stories. And while you're there, don't forget to follow us if you haven't already. If you have a case suggestion, please reach out through our website at lagostories.net. All of today's source material will be linked in the description box below. We'll be back with a new episode in a couple weeks, but until then, stay safe out there. It's a weird world. Thank you to Alexander Nakarada for allowing us to use his sound, Nightmare, for a theme music.